The reading today is from Philemon, verses 1 to 21, which can be found on page 1134. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his people and all your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I was in chains for the gospel but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favour you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. This is the word of the Lord. Reading is from Luke, chapter 14, verses 25 to 33, and can be found on page 990. The cost of being a disciple. Large crowds were travelling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? But if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying... This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. 
Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. This is the Gospel of the Lord. A prayer before I start. Thank you, Father, for your word, which is more powerful than any two-edged sword and discerns the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. May what I have prepared today be true to that word and may it speak to each one of us this morning. Amen. I'm sure that some of you are familiar with the saying, are you ready, willing, and able? And about three weeks ago, Donald turned up with his luggage and posed the question, are you ready? Well, I feel that today's sermon topic poses the question, are you willing and able? And Jesus is very clear and direct in what he means when he poses this question to the crowds traveling with him. Verse 25 tells us that large crowds were traveling with, or in other translations, following or going along with him. Were they hoping to see some miracles to bring some excitement into their mundane lives? Or did they enjoy listening to what he had to say? Or were some of them hoping that he was going to start a revolution against the Romans? If so, they were expecting the wrong things. Jesus was not impressed or fooled by their presence or their enthusiasm, for he knew that most of them were really not interested in spiritual things. Most of them were just traveling or going along with him. This is why in verse 26 he turns and challenges them with these startling words. Unless you hate your father and mother, your wife and children, your brothers and sisters, and even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. This must have stopped them in their tracks, and which was precisely what Jesus intended to do. He knew that few were truly following him, and this is why this passage well, this is what this passage is all about. The difference with, between just traveling or going along with Jesus and seriously following him. Just traveling along or going along with someone, to me, implies something casual, random, not deliberate or planned. Just like someone you meet on a journey and travel along with them until you go your separate ways. But in this passage, Jesus is talking about deliberately choosing to accompany someone, to the, accompany him. People he wanted would choose to deliberately follow him all the way to the journey's end. He is talking about disciples. 
The term disciple means more than a learner, more than the relationship between a student and a teacher. It implies one who follows the lifestyle, habits, and way of thinking of the teacher. So that the goal of the disciple is to become as much like the teacher as possible. And this is what Jesus said in Luke 6, verse 40. Students, when fully trained, will be like their teacher. Verses 26 and 27 don't seem to be quite so harsh and unfeeling when you remember that Jesus put following his heavenly father's plan before his own earthly family and before his own life. Jesus is not asking any would-be followers to do anything more than he did himself. We know that he didn't hate his mother because out of love and respect and concern for Mary, he asked John the disciple to take care of her, even when he was dying in agony on the cross. So what exactly does Jesus mean in verse 26? when he says we should hate our family. It means that a disciple must love Jesus supremely and that all other loves are like hatred in comparison. Love for Jesus must come first. So the word hate here means to love less. Following Jesus is not always compatible with the claims of life's closest and dearest. This is something I had to face with my own family. When I became a committed Christian, my college friend, who was a Baptist, played a significant part in this. And when my parents learned that I was leaving our beloved homeland to go all the way to Kent, my mother said, you will be leaving all that we've brought you up to believe in. You'll be leaving the Church of England to go and worship with Elizabeth. And she even asked the vicar to have a word with me. I tried to explain to her that I wouldn't, out of defiance, turn my back on my upbringing. But I would have to go to a church where I received the teaching I needed. But you know, God is so gracious. I found a wonderful, sound Bible-teaching Anglican church in Gillingham that I could attend. However, I had to be prepared to hurt my parents, whom I respected and loved very much, in order to follow Jesus' call on my life. And when this happens, Jesus tells us in Matthew 19... Verse 29, everyone who has left houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, wife, or children for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. The promise of reward is not why we put Jesus first. It's because Jesus put us first and it is our response of love to him. So, Jesus faces the crowd and makes them face up to the reality of being one of his disciples, not just someone traveling along with him, or if you like, going along for the ride, 
but someone who is truly following him, willing to put him first in their life. And as we have seen, he doesn't hold back. He doesn't pull any punches, but he lays it on the line in order to make the crowd realize that following him, or if you like, being his disciple, shouldn't be a spur of the moment or casual decision, but something that needs serious consideration. So in verses 28 and to 32, Jesus told or gave two illustrations by telling a story of two men. One decided to build a tower, the kind that you would find in a vineyard. But before starting to build, he didn't stop to calculate the cost. So to his embarrassment, he didn't have enough money to finish it. And the half-built tower would be a constant reminder to him and his neighbors how impulsive and irresponsible he had been. The second man, a king, isn't as irresponsible. He decides to weigh up his chances of success before he starts out. He realizes his army is not strong enough to prevail and so enters into negotiations with the enemy. It would be quite obvious to the crowd which of the two men was wisest. The one who at first counted the cost. And words from the old marriage service comes to mind. Not to be taken lightly or wantonly, which means irresponsibly. In the same way, making a decision to follow Jesus must not be taken lightly or irresponsibly. Campbell Morgan believes that the builder and king could represent Jesus and that he is the one who has to count the cost to see whether we are the kind of material he can use to build his church and battle the enemy. Oswald Chambers comments, Jesus cannot get the job done with half-hearted followers. Discipleship is a serious business and Jesus does not make us be his disciples. And there's only one way that we can become disciples, and that is by being devoted to Jesus. Jesus concludes in verse 33 by making this devastating but very clear statement. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. And the Amplified Bible translates give up everything as renounce or surrender everything. So I don't think Jesus is saying that we are not to own anything, but we're to give it all away. I think that what he is saying is that we should hold all we possess loosely in open hands so that it is at God's disposal. However, there is no wiggle room in this statement. Jesus is not offering negotiation terms. Jesus makes it quite clear that he is only interested in followers or disciples who are willing to pay the price, whatever that may be. Three times in this passage, in verses 26, 27, and 33, 
Jesus told the crowd that whether there were those who could not, because they would not, be his disciples. Those who were not willing to put Jesus first in their lives and affections. Those who were not prepared to carry their cross. And those who would not give up everything to follow and be his disciples. So what does it mean to carry one's cross? When Jesus said these words, he was on his way to Jerusalem and to death. For him, it had meant leaving his throne on high, to live in a world which was hostile towards him, living a life with few earthly comforts, suffering much rejection, ridicule, misunderstanding, even from his own brothers and sisters, suffering the scorn and lies of his opponents, betrayal and desertion by those closest to him, and a most agonizing and humiliating death. This was the life that Jesus chose to follow, and it about covers anything that following him might mean for us. I doubt whether many of us in this country will be asked to die for following Jesus, but this is a reality for many in other countries, and they've done so. For most of us, to carry one's cross means daily identifying with Jesus, in loving and caring, even when some make it very difficult to do so, in perhaps suffering, ridicule, loss of friendship, surrendering our will and time to Jesus, when perhaps we would rather be spend, spending our time and resources differently. In short, it means willing to serve Jesus as he directs and laying aside those things or associations which would prevent us from doing so. For each one, it will be different. But verse 27 does apply to all of us. One commentator feels that in the light of verses 21 and 24 before our reading today, which is part of the account of the great banquet, Jesus seems to be making a distinction between salvation and discipleship. He believes that salvation is open to all who will come to the cross. But discipleship means carrying the cross and following Jesus. And in his great commission in Matthew 28, Jesus tells his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And this includes everything Jesus said in today's reading. Also note, Jesus told his disciples to go and make other disciples, not followers. Barclay believes that it is possible to be a follower of Jesus without being a disciple. And to illustrate this, tells the story of a great scholar who lectured at a university. Someone said to him, I hear that so-and-so is one of your students. To which the professor replied, he may attend my lectures, but he is not one of my students. Barclay goes on to say that he believes that this is one of the handicaps of the church, 
that in it are many distant followers of Jesus, but so few real disciples. The Christian life is a battle against all that stands in the way of God's will for life. And Jesus wants builders and battlers. His message to us is, come to me at all costs, but first count the cost. One such person who did this was Paul the Apostle. When he was blinded on the road to Damascus, he said, Who are you, Lord? Recognizing that he was in the presence of someone of power and authority. Then for three days, during which he was blind, Jesus told him what it would cost him if he became one of his followers. And in Acts 9, we read, Jesus told the disciples Ananias, I will show him, that is Paul, how much he must suffer for my name. Jesus never forces anyone to be his follower and never hides the cost of doing so, which is devotion to him. By now, as with me when I was preparing this, you're probably thinking I couldn't possibly live up to all of Jesus' demands. Neither could those first disciples until the day of Pentecost, when Jesus fulfilled his promise to them. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Again, to quote Barclay, a person must not be daunted by Jesus' high demands, because he or she is not left to fulfill them alone. He who calls the disciples to the steep road will walk with them every step of the way and be there at the end to meet them. Luke 14 finishes with Jesus saying, Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, are we willing to hear? Because without our willingness, we will never discover, discover that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are also able to be his disciples, not just followers. Like Paul, we shall be able to follow at all costs, having first counted the cost. And with Paul, be able to say, when I am weak, that's when I'm strong. Because like him, we will know that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen.